Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Are you telling me that it's 8.25? Precisely. Yeah. I'm waiting for school. You know, I have one simple request. And that is to have sharks with frickin' laser beams attached to their heads. You are asking me to be rational. That is something I know I cannot do. Well, whatever it is, it's gotta get by us. Right. Go get her, Ray! Welcome, welcome to Get a Little of This Movie, a franchise movie podcast. My name is Corey. I'm with my bud Cole and our friend Zach. And today we are talking about Quantum of Solace, right? Quantum of Solace, not Quantum of Solace. Or is it the other way around? See, that's what I think Because he's it is. in solitude, right? No, see, that's not why, though. I, 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 that's not it's, why. It's I a think it's word. Solace. I think we, it's Solace. I've been saying solace? Quantum of Solace my whole life. Solace. Did I say quantum of solace? No, you said, said solace. You were non-committal. I said so- you were non-committal. Well, I said I said both, but I think I declared it a so- solace. <laughs> I don't know. It's solace. It's solace because he's in solitude. I, even though those I'm are other words. No, that's compl- not why. It, but I know it's a completely different word. But that way we remember because he's in solitude. So it's solace. Oh man. Does that make sense? You know, honestly, it's, it's they should have ju- they should have just picked a different title, so we don't even have to have this, you know, this this discussion. Funny enough, they actually almost they almost named it something else. I saw it was like Quantum of Continuum or something or Continuity. I don't remember. It was something with a C, and it sa- it looked like Continue, um, but they almost named it something else. I don't know if that's in the green light or not. I haven't looked. Does Does anyone have any preliminary stuff? I had one thing. I kind of wanted to mention it. Because it's kind of historic. It's got to do with the industry that we've been talking about since we started this podcast. But it's the writers and the actors strike. And so, Zach, I don't really know. I don't really know a ton about writers and actors strike history. I know it's happened a few other times. But since you're going into that industry, I wanted to know what your thoughts were on this. It's going to affect a lot of movies and TV and a lot of stuff for probably the next year and a half. And we're going to be able to see it in the waves from the future. We're going to be like, oh, that's when the strike happened, and it's going to affect a lot of shows. So I just wanted to know. What, I just wanted to know your thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, first of all, I don't want to count my eggs before they hatch or anything. So yeah, I am gonna, you know, <laughs> be going to school uh, for for writing. I, I am. I am going to be moving out west. You know, but you know, obviously, nothing is guaranteed, especially in that industry. But the fact that the strike is going on now, yeah, I mean, it's good that hope, hopefully it works out. Obviously, that's not a given either. Things things like this are, you know, you can't can't really guarantee anything. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to know all the details on all the specific things they're asking for. You know, the rise of streaming platforms and how shows are, uh, you know, for the most part, a lot of them are just delivered straight to streaming platforms. And, you know, they get put on there after they maybe run on network or whatever. Like, a lot of that affects the residuals that you know, actors were getting for a while, you know, and that was a big part of their pay and like writers were like residuals for writers too and stuff like that. Uh, and you know, there's also AI, you know, chat GPT like issues in terms of those, you know, being used to create content and stuff. So I, I know there, those are like just some of the main issues. Uh, and I think that it's good that they're being addressed and obviously I'm on the side of the writers, obviously, but yeah, it is going to be interesting to see the effect that it has on movies. Cause we're not going to feel it yet with the stuff that's coming out right now. But as mm-hmm. like you said, Corey, you know, things that come out anywhere from six months to two years from now, 
or even three years from now, we might be feeling the effects of uh, this, yeah. this strike. I did read a report that some shows, like ones that are filming in England, like uh, House of the Dragon, because it's under a whole different union law, they're like legally not allowed to strike. So shows like that that are filming on location and fall under different unions, I'm not saying they'll you know, be fine in the sense that we'll get to see them on time because I don't know how everything is going to go because show runners might want to wait for the writers to come back. But, I mean, there is I, con content still being produced is what I'm trying to say. I would be so surprised if... Because, like, the, the actors can't strike. Isn't it that the actors can't strike, but the writers for like those HBO shows that are filming abroad or film um, like with House of the Dragon, like that one, the writers are still like on strike for that one. Yeah. Yeah. I, they're I, still I think, on but the strike. The actors, the actors are still like supposed to report to set and stuff. Um, yeah. But I would be surprised if they continue, especially a show like that. I feel like shows like uh, I was going to House of the Dragon, Game of Thrones, uh like I guess Watchmen also kind of fits into that. Those like really story heavy shows where it's like the writing is really what draws and pushes the the story forward. Like and that's the big pool. I'd be surprised if they just try to continue on without the writers and like make up some. I don't know. I don't know exactly how it would go, but I'd be surprised if they push through. I feel like that one's also gonna get delayed. Well, also a big thing is like if if scripts got finished before the writers strike, you know, you're technically allowed yeah. to go into production with that script. But a big problem yeah, is but the, on shows, the a actors lot of get... are on strike. <laughs> That's right, the right. big problem. Well, no, what I was going to I'm going somewhere different with it in the sense that the shows get rewritten like while you're filming a lot. And so do movies like mm -hmm. movies go through rewrites while you're filming. And, you know, if the writers are on strike, then technically they're not allowed to be doing these on-set rewrites you can't have a writer on set to fix a scene you know you have to either it's you know up to whoever is directing or acting in it to like you know kind of fill in the blanks which is you know honestly Corey, I, I don't know if you brought this up during this movie specifically for this reason but that's actually a pretty great segue into the green light because that there was a strike going on and like when this movie was being made and yeah, that kind of yeah. affected the movie. So that I, I kind of well, assume that's why you brought it up. But yeah, that's I, I was going to like kind of. But yeah, that's exactly why. Because when I was looking up trying to find I was doing my portion of like the research a little bit before um, I saw wow, that. And I was you. like, oh, that's that's kind of interesting. And that we're dealing with that now. And so I thought this would be a great time to bring it up. But yeah. Um, but yeah, we can get into the green light. Kind of talk about it a little bit more. I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here tell you how it's going to begin as far as the green light goes this film was announced before casino royale even went into production with craig coming already signed on to come back um the original script kind of had a similar opening with bond and white but the idea was bond would release mr white to go and lead him to the original villain dante who would lead him to Vesper's former lover. The reason she betrayed him and died and in the last movie. Um, but as far as production history, I mean, 
this movie has a pretty rough run. Um, starts out, Roger Mitchell is announced to direct the film in 05, and he drops out a year later. And then Mark Foster is brought in to direct the film. Um, and this is all while rewrites are going on. Um, Mark Foster, or Forster, very sorry, Forster, um, directed films like Monster's Ball and Finding Neverland. Um, by June of 07, they're still pitching this new film, looking for more of a sleek new Bond film. The idea was, and correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, the idea was for the film to be like a bullet, sleek, fast, in a hurry, kind of different from Casino Royale, which was pitched as more of a James Bond love story. And I can see, I could definitely see what he means with that on screen uh, in terms of the pacing of the movie and also you know, it's worth noting that the runtime here is like the shortest Bond movie. Like, I don't know, maybe ever. I, I, I don't know. I didn't look it up. But it's definitely the shortest of the Craig ones. Yeah, I it definitely feels short and definitely is kind of all over the place. But they had finished writing the film days before the strike went into effect in 07. But because it was still going on while the film was in production in 2008, Daniel Craig actually had to do some uncredited rewrites along with Mark Forster as both were not members of the Writers Guild of America and were still technically allowed to do rewrites like that. I think it kind of shows in the final product. I mean, Casino Royale on a little smaller budget grossed $600 million. This film didn't even crack $600 million. It was five hundred. against a estimated $230 million budget. And it really shows in the final product audiences as in letterbox users have given this an average of 2.8 and it holds a 64% on rotten tomatoes. Now that is a 30% drop. What what that is called when you're in school is you are failing. You are flunking out if you drop thirty percent there. Right, um, but under Rotten Tomato score, that's still sixty two percent of reviews were positive. Sixty four. Sixty. Even better. Yeah. You know. But, so uh, I mean, I, that's why I, I don't like. I, so let let me just stop you right there, Cole, with the. I think it shows on screen talk. You know, let's let's wait and see. I might have. I might come to the defense of this movie a little bit, I think, when we when we get to talking about it. Okay. Um, but I did want to talk about the cast a little more in this one. It's not as heavily focused on just really three characters. You know, there's a lot more going on. So starting off, you have Olga Kirilenko as Camilla, Camille Montez. Um, she credited this as this film as the reason she kind of got over her fear of stunt performing. She really drove um, inspiration from Michelle Yeoh and which, which Bond movie was it, Zach? It was Tomorrow Die Another, Another Day. Dies. Uh, Tomorrow Another Day Dies. Die Another Day is uh, Holly Berry. Anyway, um, she decided to perform her own stunts for the film. She, in my opinion, is great in this movie. Nothing wrong with her. Then you have Matteo Amalric as Dominic Green, our follow-up to Lashif in this movie. 
Um, then you need to do a Gemma dry run Arter- of these names before we start recording. <laughs> you need to just start yeah. saying them out loud to yourself before we start. <laughs> um, then Gemma Arterton as MI6 agent Strawberry Fields. Now, mm. I don't know about you guys, but that's an awesome name. I love the name Strawberry Fields, and it's feels very classic Bond to me Corey, it's definitely um, a classic bond type of name Corey, are you uh, familiar with the beatles song strawberry fields forever i am okay well i didn't I, have a follow-up i was just, <laughs> I, was just <laughs> I i i uh, was just gonna say i was i also thought it was pretty classic i when i heard that i was just like oh my gosh that kind of supports your theory that when we when i brought it up last episode how um these bond movies like i've heard a theory that they're all like the same bond and they're all like in different parts. Um, and then you guys just quickly dismiss that and you're like, no, that's stupid. But you said that it could be that James Bond is a code name that each I of them that. have. And like strawberry, I know that's what I said. You said that. <laughs> and so, and, and having, uh, another agent, agent fields, agent strawberry fields kind of supports that theory. And so it's just like, I was like, ah, Cole might be right with that. <laughs> His theory might be right. I got a little upset, but that's yeah. That's what I thought of. Anyway, continue. But she actually modeled her character after Diana Rigg, who plays a famous Game of Thrones character. Are you Does anybody me, know this, who? Yes, I know who. Does, yeah. does Corey want to guess? Yeah, cool. Um, what she's season? old. Give her. Give you a hint. She's she's old in Game of Thrones. She was young and Bond. Yeah. Um. Oh, it's uh, it's Terrell. It's the yes. Terrell grandmother. Yes. Elena Tyrell. Great sure. character. Uh, yeah, she's great. And then finally, I did want to mention him just because, you know, big star now. David Harbour plays Greg Beam in this movie, who is Jeffrey Wright's character's boss. And this, I seeing him in movies and TV now, he, he definitely hams up his whole, like, dad persona when he plays characters in a way that makes him almost cool in things now like in this you know he he really is this i feel a way dorkier character and it it's funny to see like you know him as a younger star as this you know not as confident character i think he's more confident here than he is as hopper as hopper he's you know he's He's, his life has fallen apart when we meet him, pretty much. He's, like, depressed and alone, and he's an alcoholic, and he's drinking a lot. Yeah, this one, he's, on, he, he's, like, giddy in this one because he's, like, overconfident. He's, like, everything's going to work out really good. Like, we're going to get all this oil. Like, oh, my gosh. And so he's, like, overconfident in this one, I thought. And the other I one, he's, like, like in, in Stranger Things, he's, like, mad the entire time and, like, grungy. <laughs> grungy. <laughs> Grump, grumpy. He kind of is. <laughs> No, he's like grungy. Nah. I don't know. Is grungy? I've never heard grungy used in that sense. <laughs> Grungy's like emo, so. like like Nirvana. <laughs> Let's let me look it up. Uh, <laughs> we're getting we're getting. I don't know. Either David Harbor in this movie is it's an interesting case because I feel like I watched this movie. This is like probably my fourth time ever seeing this. Um, maybe even third. And each time I watch it, I watch it with a big enough gap in between that. I always forget that he's in it until he pops up again. And like, I'm like, Oh, Hey, you know, like each time. And I, and I forget each time 
you know I, I don't think i'll forget this time because i'm doing a podcast on it but it's always a nice surprise it's, it's etched in history forever now right now but, uh, this podcast has immortalized it yeah we've immortalized you david harbour Corey. I just looked up grungy and an informal way of using grungy is like to mean grimy or dirty. And I definitely think that Harper or Hopper is dirty and grimy, you know, and that's why he's just like so brutal. Anyway, sorry. Just wanted to prove that I used the word correctly. I'm an intelligent guy. Good job. Thanks. You're so smart. All I needed. Who else we got? That's really all I had for new cast members that I thought were pretty notable throughout this one. Um, if we want, we can get into the call sheet. Uh, does Harvey know about you and his little bunny? Where are they? Killing is making a choice. Where are they? Choose between one life or the other. Your friend, the district attorney, or his blushing bride to be. The call sheet. It's the call sheet. I'm gonna get a cup of coffee before we start the call sheet. I'll be right back. Give me, give me, give me 20 seconds. It is 5.40 p.m. and he is drinking coffee. What does he have to stay up to do? The, the worst, the latest I will drink an energy drink of any kind, one o'clock. I, yeah, that's, that's fair. That's fair. That's like, that's just like to get me through the day, you know. I try to stay away from that stuff. Yeah, I know. It's in the Zach fridge at work. I know that's ridiculous. They need to take that out. I don't know. Every single time, every single month, month end, they're just like, okay, we filled it with energy drinks. No, if I if I'm tired, I'm going home. <laughs> well. It's the call sheet. Yeah, people don't realize that reference because Zach never shared that with the world. Zach, you what? never shared the call sheet? What? My version of the call sheet entrance. Did I not leave that in there? I thought I might have. What's the... Uh, no, what's remember the... when I, I recorded it separately and I was like, okay, I'm going to record it really quick. This is the call sheet. Okay, welcome to the call sheet. This is the part. This is a little quiz section of the show. I'm gonna ask four questions, one bonus question to Zach and Cole, and they are gonna answer. Currently, it is uh, five to two. Yeah, five to two. In favor of Zach, I believe. So Zach is winning. He has won five times. Cole has won twice. Um, okay, so do you guys have any? You guys both ready? You have your phones ready? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to get right into it. Question one. Most movies have a MacGuffin, but in this movie, the villain hides what he is after. What substance is Green seeking to control? Okay, I have an answer from Zach. No more hint, which is... Oh, I did have a hint for this one. I mean, that, that answer, okay, that answer to- is so integral to the plot that if Cole gets it wrong, I'm going to question if he watches these movies before we talk about them. <laughs> Um, question number two. It is important to keep your career opportunities open while you're traveling. What company is on the business card that Bond passes to Dominic Green's security team? I, I think this one's going to be kind of hard, but it was very, very easily seen. And like they say it on the phone when he calls the number. <laughs> As okay. Question number three. As Taco Bell taught us, you got to live Moss. 
What is Bond's cover in Bolivia when the redheaded Strawberry Fields agent comes to take him in? What is their cover? And I'm looking for the entire cover. There was a cover that they had, and then Bond hey, changed hey, it hey, and hey, added something. Ah, uh, stop making it too easy for him. <laughs> I don't think that's me making it easy. I'm just saying I'm looking for like the entire cover. Because I don't want just the first part. I'm looking for the entire thing. Okay, I have two answers. Question number four. At least we know one person came out on top at the end. Who gets promoted at the end of the movie? Yeah, it's the stupidest fucking line of dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I have two answers. We're just going to hop straight into the bonus question. Quantum of Solace is what number in the overall Bond franchise? How many movies were before? Slash what right, movie I, before is you. One? I need you to I have clarify an something Cole. here. Okay, before I give my answer, I need you to clarify something, because there is a movie that one of the Bond actors is in where he plays James Bond, but they they don't count it as one of the series because it's made by a different company. Never say okay. never again. That's It's like technically not supposed to be part of like the series, but I don't know if whatever you counted counted it. So I counted on if IMDb. You find out that, that there's your hint i counted on imdb that's not it <laughs> okay all right let me i don't know how to t I, don't, I don't know how to tell you without <laughs> saying like zach just, it's you, the call sheet just wait, 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 give, wait, wait, me wait, wait. give me an give me give me i'm i'm thinking wait, wait, you, give me a second i'm close five four oh whoa, whoa whoa that's the first time you've ever three, done that that's not fair no. You're taking forever, and you're pushing it off. Because I was clarifying. I, am, I was clarifying I am for the, the call first part. sheet czar. Okay, what I say That's... goes. I've also given you more than five seconds. This is the bonus question, so it only it only matters if you if you lost the first if you lost in the first four, then this one separates it. But we don't know what the results were of the first four. Okay, here we go. We're going to go through the questions and go through the answers. Question number one. Most movies have a MacGuffin, but in this movie, the villain hides what he is after. What substance is Green seeking to control? Uh, Zach said water. Cole said oil. The correct answer is water. He is yeah. after water. Um so that's a point for Zach. Question number two, it is important to keep your career opportunities open when traveling. What company is on the business card that Bond passes Dominic Green's security team? Zach said properties. Cole said quantum. Quantum was incorrect. Properties was incorrect. It was universal exports. It was just a very, very generic uh, name. Anyway, uh, so it's still one zero Zach. Question number three is Taco Bell taught us you got to live moss. What is Bond's cover in Bolivia when the redheaded Strawberry Fields agent comes to take him in? Zach said, teachers on sabbatical who won the lottery, Bond says. And Cole said, a married couple. The answer was teachers on sabbatical that just won the lottery. Question. Okay, so that's 2-0 in favor of Zach. Question number four. At least we know one person came out on top of the end. Who gets promoted at the end of the movie? Zach said Felix. Cole said Felix. The answer was Felix. 
Good job. You guys both got that one correct. It is three to one in favor of Zach. Bonus question. This one's closest to the pin. This is, of course, it's a number. Um, so what are Quantum of Solace is what number in the overall franchise? So on IMDb, it says this is the 23rd movie. Cole said 22. Zach said 21. So Cole came out on top in the last question. But Zach still won. It it literally says they literally called No Time to Die before it was given the title Bond 25. I don't know what to tell you. I went on IMDb since that's your guys' Bible. Whenever I try to every single time I use these or make questions like this, I go to IMDb and I check and I checked again and it said this is the 20 third bond movie so i don't know what to tell you um good job to both of you zach came out on top it is now six to two congratulations on to action even the opening scene there's always some random girl who gets a call that undoubtedly ends up getting her killed it's also predictable there's no element of surprise you can see everything coming Did that surprise you? <laughs> now shut the fuck up and watch the movie. Alrighty, uh, in action, we just talk about the movie, and I guess I mean it's, I mean this movie in general just is definitely a pretty direct follow-up to Casino Royale. It's picking up literally right where that one left off. We have Mr. White in his trunk uh, during this opening car chase, which is announces right away that the editing in this movie is going to be frantic and insane, you know, for these action scenes. And they were definitely trying to model it after, you know, Bourne movies, which were, you know, all the hullabaloo at this time. But quick cuts in general, shaky yeah, cam. really shaky cam, quick cuts. You know, I, I think the Bourne movies do it a little bit better. And I think it fits that type of movie better than it fits this. But whatever, I give it credit for trying something new to the franchise. You know, it's definitely got its own distinct, you know, style in that sense. But we'll talk about the action scenes later i guess because right now i just want to talk about like this movie as a story follow-up to casino royale how do you guys feel inter- are, are you satisfied with this as a you know i don't know if you want to call it a conclusion but a, a next chapter and following up where we left bond and who he is as a character and what he's doing at the last movie yeah i was gonna say this is almost it felt like this was a sequel to it, it well of course it was a sequel but it felt like these two were just like completely on their own because the other movies yeah they kind of they tie in overall but it's like these two were one right after another and this movie would not have happened if the first movie didn't happen you know this is completely like follow up clean up and i was like that's kind of interesting because i i don't remember um Spe- specters the next one no skyfall uh, is skyfall next. skyfall skyfall's next well, I, okay, I remember Skyfall pretty well. I remember Skyfall, No Time to Die, Casino Royale, but I don't remember um, Spectre very well. Uh, but I know Skyfall and Casino and, and um, No Time to Die. They're kind of like they they're they're definitely in order, and they definitely have like you have to watch one to watch the next. But it's not like this where it's like it's so reliant on the movie that came before it, and you de- like it's almost like episode one, episode two. And I thought that was yeah. I thought that was kind of an interesting way to go with it. I think a, a more like now version of this movie would be the two previous Mission Impossibles, 
where they feed into each other so much and they are basically a two-parter without the idea of saying it's a two-part film you know rogue nation and fallout are definitely two-parters and i mean love them but this does not work as well as they do i didn't think it was bad for me taking bond you know okay so like i was saying in the last episode Bond as a character, you know, he he doesn't want to be he he wants to keep that mask on, right? He he keeps people at a distance and then where that movie left him at the end, it it definitely seems like that's who he's going to be going forward. He won't trust anybody and he's not going to let anyone get close to him. And that was what he wanted to be during Casino Royale too, but we see that, you know, that mask come off, that armor come off and we see him vulnerable. We don't get that really in this movie. And you know, it, you could say it's a result of what happened to him in the last movie, but so he Bond as a character is keeping people at an arm's length away from him. He keeps people distant from him. Yeah. But I feel like this movie, now I don't know, maybe you could call it a mistake. I'm honestly kind of undecided on if it's a mistake or not. It seems like this movie keeps the audience even at like arm's distance away from Bond as a character in the sense that, you know, like we don't get, this movie doesn't take his foot off the gas enough to really let us know how Bond is feeling. And I, on one hand... I think, yeah, it, 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 it benefits a movie to, you know, slow things down for moments and have, you know, you get more insights into how someone is feeling or for someone to break down or for someone to be honest with someone about what's going on inside their head with their emotions and blah, blah, blah. And how, on the other hand, I can see the argument that this is, I mean, we're, we're, what he's doing, this, this as a follow-up to Casino Royale, you think it's going to be a revenge movie. And, you know, we find out about, you know, Vesper's lover and how he he's actually still alive and... And whatnot, and that doesn't get paid off till the end of the movie. But it's like a revenge plot. But he's not really going on direct revenge. He's just he's just angry, and he's taking this anger out on this current thread that he's pulling of something that's related to you know Vesper's death. But it's not like this bad guy. Um, what's Dominic? It's not like Dominic is directly responsible for Vesper's death. It's not like his operation is what you know killed her directly. Obviously, Quantum is behind it overall, but. For him, he you know he finds what he can with Quantum, and he tracks it down, and he's killing people. You know he's leaving bodies in his wake. He's taking no prisoners really, and you know he's he's not as careful with you know Strawberry Fields, and that off that actually costs her her life. You know, and mm. so he's he's you know a more grizzled Bond here, and I think you know watching this character, you know just kind of go on this like spree of violence, you know you know all in the name of the mission or whatever but but you can see that you know vesper's death is affecting him even though we never really get him to say more than like a couple things about it at a couple different scenes you know what i mean like it we, yeah. we don't get to know bond that well just like everyone else in the character every, every other character in the movie doesn't really get to know him that well in this movie we just see like how he's feeling how it affects how he does his job he, i think what the movie was trying to do where it's trying to because it's definitely trying to say like he's pushing all this stuff to the side and he's trying to just focus on what he was hired to do which is be this blunt weapon you know as he was described in the first movie and i think overall in a large franchise where you have five movies i think it's important to like i I, well not important i think it's okay to spend a movie an entire movie showing like the character like not dealing but like struggling with what happened in the last movie and saying, I'm just going to completely turn the page and I'm going to do something completely different, which is what he's doing in this movie where he's trying to just, as you said, keeping everyone at a distance and where the movie's trying to keep 
us at a distance away from him. And I think that is fine in the overall s- scheme of things. But I think in this, like when you're looking at it as a standalone movie, you definitely needed a part like that. And I definitely know exactly where it would have gone right after strawberry fields died. And he saw her like in the bed covered in oil. And he's like walking away and you have that like slow dramatic scene where he's like, his face kind of just drops and he's hand, he's slowly handing his weapons over. I was like that, like if you would have just dwelled on that for like a little bit longer, like you show us that he's like, Oh my gosh. Like I thought holding people at a distance was going to solve this problem. It was going to help me with it. But like after seeing that it's like, it's not, and I'm still really affected by it. I think that would have been really impactful. I don't think it would have changed the overall uh, of the movie, but I think that would have like helped the standaloneness of this movie because then you would have been like, Oh my gosh, like he's, you see, like he's still really struggling. And like, he tried to completely turn the page and do something completely different than what he was doing and like shut everyone out. And it still didn't work, you know? And then you can go back to him, like still being like a blunt object where you're just, where maybe he's trying to, I don't know. I don't know how you justify him continuing to do that, I guess. Um, so maybe that's why they didn't do it, but I feel like that scene would have been impactful and that would have helped. I don't know. That would have helped me like enjoy it just yeah. a little bit more. Not saying I didn't enjoy it. I just, I, I that would help me in the moment. Yeah, I agree, Corey. I, I think I, I think that that would be the the logical place to put a scene like that. And I want to rephrase kind of what I was saying earlier, and maybe pose it as a question here. Do you think, largely, he's getting if this is a revenge story, he's just getting revenge through his actions, and he's taking it out on you know other people who are yes in the wrong, but not directly responsible for what happened to Vesper. Do you think you would prefer a more direct revenge story here? where the bad guy is someone who was directly responsible for what happened with Vesper. Like, let's say the bad guy was Vesper's quote-unquote boyfriend who really, you know, was kind of, a you know, agent of Quantum this whole time, and it was about getting a more, you know, a direct cause of her death and going after him? Or do you think it's more effective, you know, more of a character study on Bond to see that he is getting revenge in his own way by just, you know, taking his rage out on this, you know, kind of related but still kind of adjacent mission? I think I would have preferred it because it's obvious that he wants revenge, especially at the end of the movie. It's or at the end of Casino Royale. It's obvious that he wants some like a piece of something to like make up for what happened and make him feel a little bit better. I think I, I don't think I would have preferred that his or her boyfriend would have been like this big mob boss who is in charge and who would have like ultimately been dominant the dominant green of this movie. But I think I would have preferred like maybe for the first 20 or so minutes um, you kind of have like the same style that you had for Casino Royale, where it was like three separate movies almost, where it's like, okay, for the first like 20 minutes, you're going to see Bond's like full investigative, like going at like finding a singular person. And then once he finds that person and we get that payoff and we get that revenge and it's completed, he realizes that like how high the totem pole actually goes. And he's like, this is only one little step. And he like, almost feels like he has to take his revenge even further and even further and even further because in this we get like we start out and he's looking for revenge but he's looking for revenge at the top of this totem pole at the top of quantum almost right away like once he talks to mr white but i kind of wish we would have had like maybe him one-on-one with mr white like trying to figure out who was this guy that vesper was like um uh my gosh involved with kind of like how cole said the movie was 
Didn't you say that's how the movie was going to start originally? He was going to let Mr. White go and find yeah. him. I think I almost would have preferred something like that. Maybe not to the extent of letting Mr. White walk and like chasing him, but like something where we get that revenge to begin with. And then like, then he starts pulling the thread and the thread just starts unraveling and he goes all the way up the totem pole and he's still like dishing out knuckle sandwiches here and there, you know, just to whoever gets in his way, just trying to take down this, this, uh, um, this organization. I think I would have preferred that. I don't. I. I definitely don't want, uh, or didn't want, Dominic Green to be the guy that she was dating because that would have. That would have just been like what. Of, of that would have been like too the, much. Definitely that would have been, been pretty been, coincidental. It would have been way too much. And I think, I think it is. It is good that we we don't see him really act or. We see him work out his rage before he finally interacts with the boyfriend. Right. Because we get to see a true human moment from him. It reminds me a lot of uh, Born to connect it to Born Again. That scene reminds me a lot of the end of Born Supremacy with like ending the movie with you know as someone's working through something that happened to him like like Born is in that movie or kind of is in all those movies but like. And then, like, the ending the movie on kind of a quieter scene that he's been emotionally building to this whole movie. That that feels like another connection of Bourne there, because I, I, I'm not going to... No spoilers for Bourne Supremacy, but it but that's a movie that ends in a quieter dialogue scene and not an action scene like this movie does here. And this movie, I mean, it does a great job. Daniel Craig is just phenomenal throughout this movie, showing that you know he can portray this hurt hurt person while also you know still being James Bond. I mean he has that moment with uh, Strawberry Fields in the hotel room, where he's like, "Can you come help me with this?" And she clearly Station- sees he can't, him. Can't find the stationery. Yeah, it's like he's just looking for like a random word because it it doesn't matter what word he was gonna say. It looked like the result was already locked in the second he yeah. invited her into he, that room. He, he said, uh, and then she just sees him walking to the bathroom and. This guy still has all the charm, you know, all the swagger, even though he is a hurt character, you know, and it's yeah. really awesome to see because Daniel Craig, I mean, Daniel Craig's the man. Yeah, he's, he's, he's great in this movie again. I want to go back to what Corey said about like the totem pole thing. And I think that's kind of one of my demerits with this movie um, is, it, you know, he it's about this organization that, you know, is that you hint at in Casino Royale and then we find out more about here, but it seems like Dominic's just like one little small part of it. It's not like they hint that he's like a big part of it. He's just one of the, I mean, he's at the, the, their, you know, quote unquote meeting at the opera or whatever, which, you know, side note, all of them who stood up after he like interrupted it and started walking out makes no sense. It defeats the whole purpose of you guys having the meeting there is that so it could be anybody in the crowd or like you don't, you don't see them meeting. You make yourself stand out when you fucking get up and walk away after that. So that was stupid. But like, the, the totem pole thing is like this this feels inconsequential you know I mean obviously it would suck for Bolivia but like I mean in terms of we're just it seems like it like, like in terms of it's like a James Bond plot it didn't stop quantum he didn't find out how far quantum went he didn't go higher on the totem pole is what I'm saying like it's just like okay we found out that quantum exists and that thread that I pulled led me to one of their many plots that they're doing right now. And I stopped that one, and that's the end of the movie. Like that's it didn't really, you know, it doesn't really 
follow that it, it's not a satisfying enough result of where casino royale left it in my opinion and while i think it might be an interesting look at how you know bond handles that situation like i've been saying i think as a story you know to make this movie make it seem like okay you're you're tracking down this organization that's that's, that's not a satisfying thing this it feels like the story is just standing on the shoulders of of giants the giant in this case being casino royale which did all the heavy work here and this just seems like a natural next mission that bond might do after that but it doesn't feel like that significant of a you know next step in that story in his like emotional journey as a character if you will well you see that's that's what i'm that's see that's what i think might still be interesting is and that's I, I don't want to keep reiterating it. I think this is still interesting because of how Bond is handling it as a character. Even if we don't get to get to know him that much, we can still see what he's doing and, you know, see that pain under his actions or whatever and that, that rage. It's just the the story here is lackluster. I guess that's the that's the long story short, not nearly up to par with Casino Royale. And it's it's a big come down in that sense. Yeah. Definitely. Um, that can be said in the way that, you know, a lot of what Casino Royale was, it was it was a love story with action in it, in a way, you know, because it's this love story between Vesper and Bond and you you can't really replicate that in this movie because it's about a guy who's who's going through something but he finds this sort of paramour in Montez. Uh, I I should just say, starting off, Olga Kirilenko is um she's great in this movie. She's really fun to watch. You know, it's kind of awesome to see someone who I said Vesper and Bond were matched on this intellectual level, but she is basically in a way sort of his full equal in this movie like she's the badass agent to his badass agent looking for revenge you know they are they are two peas in the sense that she's after the guy who killed her mom and he's after vesper's boyfriend i agree cole i, I think she's good and i think I, I do respect that the movie doesn't make them like a romantic thing i mean they kiss at the end but that almost just feels like a natural like by by then <laughs> this was fun you know, almost like that's that's what that felt like to me. Uh, that you know, obviously the the girl that Bond seduces in this movie is not her. It's Strawberry Fields, which I th- I I just to bring it back to what Corey said, I think that could have used one more moment of reflection from Bond after you know we find her, you know her corpse, you know dripping in oil or whatever. You know, it's and that's a, a I mean a subtle you know homage to Goldfinger, where they find a body you know dripped in gold in that movie. You know the calling card of the villain, but I, she does a good job, and I like that. Yeah, they're they're just two people who are both looking for revenge, so their their interests align, and they they both respect what the other one is. You know, trying to get when they have that moment in the cave talking about it, and I like the moment yeah. at, after she gets her revenge, and he comes and saves her in the fire, but she's having like you know PTSD from the fire that you know destroyed her life all those years ago or whatever you know, left her with burn marks on her back. Right. I feel like that's, that's what we saw. Um, yeah. but she, and so like, she's freaking out with that and bond comes there and comforts her and then, and then, you know, helps they both escape. And then, uh, 
so yeah, I respect their, I, I respect the way they handle that relationship in this movie, and I, I, I like the restraint there to not have Bond bounce right back into a actual relationship with someone, because I, th- I think where the series, how the series eventually handles his recovery in that is, is, is you know, mostly well done in other movies, but overall, yes, good Bond girl in this movie. She does a good job. Now, in terms of like action scenes in this movie. I don't know if like any one sequence stands out as like the best. I, I guess honestly, probably. The, I mean, the car chase at the beginning is pretty cool. Uh, I think mm-hmm. the 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 foot race that happens after you know Mr. White has you know M's bodyguard you know reveal his allegiance in that interrogation like pretty early That's in the movie. Good. It's a good chase, uh, but I, I don't know actually. To be to be fair, I think it's just. Even though I had some a little bit of gripes with the one in Casino Royale, coming off the foot race in Casino Royale, this just doesn't hold a candle. It's mainly because of the editing that I was talking about earlier. It's just like really frantic editing, and they splice it with like this horse race that's going on nearby, and that happens a couple times in the movie where he splices it between other events. And I think it's more interesting when he does it later at the opera, where like you know people are getting shot, you know, quote unquote shot on stage in the opera while Bond is being chased and. Like he edits that where we don't hear the actual gunshots. We just see it play with no no sound for a second. But here in this foot race at the beginning, I there's just too much going on and it's kind of hard to follow at times. But I think it ends pretty well when they're like, yeah. you know, they're what are they in a museum and then they both get suspended by ropes and then Bond is the gun falls and Bond's swinging back and forth on the rope and he's trying to get the gun before the other guy climbs up and grabs a gun and the way that ends with Bond just getting the gun and turning and shooting and then that being the end of the scene that's pretty cool I would say the um, you know you talk about these quick cuts between everything that really just took me out of the final action sequence also not yeah, only the, the, are you the final climax goes pretty quick honestly my my whole thing is not only are you cutting between montez and bond like fighting you know their people you're seeing all these cuts like i don't think there's there's maybe five seconds without a cut in between these action scenes and it's so hard to just hone in on these moments that are supposed to be you know the same style as Casino Royale because that obviously, you know, the way it was shot and everything, that's what they're going for. But it's just, it completely takes me out of it. How fast everything is just happening. It's like, boom, 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 you know? Yeah. You don't really get a sense of the choreography of the fights or anything of, or you don't get a good sense of space of where people is or what they're doing. It's things are just happening so fast that you really just, you're, you're just feeling the, the, the high energy of it. But I don't think you're really taking it in. I don't know. Corey, do you have any action scene or something like sequence that stood out to you as a positive or negative? I was going to say I agree with you on the last one, but I think I agree with you for different reasons. The last action scene, like when they're in the burning building and everything's coming down around them, just confused me so much because it just felt so odd. Maybe it was because of the editing. Uh, Maybe that was part of it. But also, like, I was just confused. It felt like uh both sides were just so mismatched you know like and of course like with bond and dominic green of i i would not even consider dominic to have a chance in that fight and that goes on for so so long like way too long it feels like i understand like at first they were chasing so that kind of like it took a little bit longer to get him but once they get once he's like right there on him it just feels like i i don't know that part it 
wasn't a fan of that part. I'll just say that. I and I don't think there's too much too much else to it. It just felt like Bond should have just cleaned up on that fight pretty easily, and it it shouldn't have been a problem. Nothing about that action scene carried like weight with me. Honestly, I feel. That. I think that was the problem. Like you. I talked about it when we talked about Casino Royale. The stairway sequence as, like, Vesper's running away and Bond's, like, taking on these two train killers. That's awesome. It's epic. It works. Nothing in this moment worked for me. Yeah. And I, I will say another action scene that, I mean, it, it stood out to me because it looked cool. I, I enjoyed the uh, first scene when he's driving through or the car chase. I can't, but like thinking back on it, I can't even remember like specific things that happened in it that I was just like, oh, that was cool. I just think overall, I was like, oh, this is a fun, this is a cool looking car chase. Um, but I, I don't know. Yeah. I, so it just felt like, I, I, I think I agree with you, Cole. It just that the action scenes felt like they had no weight to them. And it just felt like, I don't. I, I don't know. It just they they felt out of place Heart, a little bit, it, I guess. And it didn't. It, it it felt like they were throwing action in there to have action instead of having the story. Like as Zach says, you have to have the story dictate what happens. And so having the story dictate the action is better than just throwing an action in there, um, just to have action. And I yeah. think that that that's kind of what happened here. Yeah. Yeah. I like uh I like what happens to the bad guy after the climax. I like Bond leaving him out in the desert after he gets you know whatever information that, he needs, and then leaving him with like a can of oil. That's that's that pretty ruthless. Uh, I like that. Pretty pretty badass. I think what what does he say? I give it twenty minutes before you take a drink of that. Twenty miles. Twenty, 20 miles. Twenty, 20 miles. miles. Twenty miles is far on foot. That would be a while. Yeah, honestly, I would make out on in a, in a desert like that. Especially when he's probably already pretty thirsty. I, I bet. I bet you get pretty parched when you're fighting in a, in a burning building. You, you know, the first time I watched that, I didn't get. I didn't understand why it was oil. I thought it was just Bond being brutal. But it was because of Strawberry Fields. And so that it makes me feel like he it, even more. It needed like him a reflecting moment right there when he saw Strawberry Fields just drowned in oil. I was like, just get me something else because that then that like that last scene would have had way more impacts, and I wouldn't have even thought like oh it's because he's just trying to be brutal i would have immediately thought of strawberry fields i mean this time i did but that's because i'm watching with a keen eye now a podcaster's <laughs> eye okay you can't look just look at get that this media literacy anywhere. over here oh, oh yeah look at this guy <laughs> <laughs> somebody watched uh, the movie they were supposed to watch that's cool <laughs> <laughs> no but uh that was i mean yeah this and I I do want to talk about the final moment that he has with Vesper's lover. And, uh, you know, he, he tells the Canadian agent, he goes, like, leave and go tell your government there's a guy who's basically trying to steal their secrets. Then he has that moment in the snow with M where she asks if he did it. And he says, no, I'm showing some restraint. And that he never left, you know, I need you back bond. So this guy's job was apparently this guy's so goddamn charming. His whole job for this organization is to make agents fall in love with them and then make them into double agents because they love him so much. That's how, that's how charming this guy supposedly was. How do you train someone for that? I bet, Corey, I bet you'd be pretty good at that if you really, if you really had to. 
I'm not good at keeping secrets. I'd give it away pretty quickly. I catch I catch Corey feelings be, too fast too. Corey I'd be, be like, like hey. I'm here to sed- I'm here to seduce you, but I love you too much. <laughs> I love you too much. I can't to seduce do you. I can't do it. Turn me into your government. I'm here to steal the secrets. I already sent the bomb codes back to Uzbekistan or some shit. Yeah. All right, that's enough. That's enough out of you. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, we have. I have nothing else, honestly, to say. I got there's, not, there's not too much to talk about with this movie. We didn't really talk about M, but I don't think she had any moments. And we didn't really talk about Mathis, but he didn't. I do think Mathis is actually pretty good in this movie. I honestly forgot he was in this movie. Uh, so I guess he really wasn't a double agent. Uh, I had forgotten that when we were talking about Casino Royale. But I don't yeah, think that, that movie the technically doesn't really want... That movie doesn't really want you to know if he is. I, this is a movie that clarifies that he for sure was not. So, I mean... yeah. I think that's it's fair that house they did. We got a villa. He got a villa, but you know, and then he ended up going on the mission because he respected that bond came and apologized and it ended up costing him his life. Oh, that's that sad. was, that was kind of, that was kind of sad. I was like, Oh, I did. I was, I was a little sad about it. I don't, I didn't like seeing him die, but you know, and then he gets his, you know, forgive her, forgive yourself lines that bond, I guess needed to hear. But, um, I got, I got over it pretty fast though. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, well, okay, in terms of what M does in this movie, you know, she's just part of that vague, I would say, not it's not subtext, it is text, uh, I guess, like, little theme in this movie about, you know, government interference and, you know, going into bed with bad people for their own, you know, private interests in terms of, like, you know, the Americans here are making a deal because they want the oil, the British government was thinking about doing the same, you know, even though they all know Dominic's not a good guy, you know, so it's like, okay, world governments, superpowers do this stuff. And, you know, they, they, that's, that's addressed in the movie and, and just kind of has some scenes revolving around that stuff, you know, yeah. but that's about I it. Get, I, I guess we don't really get too much of M until the next movie. Yeah. We get a I thought, lot I, of her in that movie. We I know. So I get, movie. I guess that makes, I, we, we'll talk about I it just, more there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just felt like, cause we, we mentioned in the first movie how like, what, Oh, what do we think of M? But I was just like, she didn't really do anything of this and she didn't really do anything in quantum of solace either. So I guess like. She gets her mo- her big movie, and that was that's like her time this, to shine. And in the other ones, she's just like a government cog in the machine. You know, it's like she's not really anything super special. I didn't. E- I, I guess I didn't realize that when I was wait. just reflecting on all these Bond movies before we started watching them. I didn't realize that. Right. But yeah. But I, I'd say I would say that we don't really need more of her in these movies. I think she's in them the perfect amount. I no. think she's good in her yeah. scenes, and she she that's the role. That's what the role is, and it you know she's she's an authority figure. She's not part of the action, obviously, but you know. Yeah, I she's, agree. She's Bond's boss, you know, and that's I think that's to the extent of what that means. I think she's good in those roles, and they they write her well. So, I th- she's I she's agree. a positive. Now, what I don't what I don't know is in this movie. I think Felix almost I don't want to say is shoehorned in, but it. He's not shoehorned in. It makes sense for him, for like his role in this movie in the CIA. It makes sense here. It's just the 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 line at the end, like, "Oh, Felix got a promotion too." So d- don't worry, guys. That 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 also worked out well. That that almost was a little too <laughs> like that was a little too neat for me to wrap up that plot line with one line. I think I would have preferred if they just left it like, "Well, the world's not perfect, you know." So you know, he's there. Yeah, the, how- the Americans are still, you know, trying to get oil and you know, not did, stopping did coups say, that are going on did- and. Did they say why they fired Bean? Well, because Felix is the good guy, and they wanted okay, they okay. wanted the audience just, to know okay. they wanted audience to know that now the the good guy won off screen, you know, and it's like okay, you know, like I, I don't know, I didn't feel anything about that. That was I didn't need that line. That was kind of silly to me, but not a big deal. Okay, 
Uh, if you guys have nothing else, I'm ready to move on to the award season. Apparently they strayed off course, and we're fairly certain they're in guerrilla hands. So why don't you use the regular army? What do you need us for? Because some damn fool accused you of being the best. All right, well, I'm going to take him this time, because Corey got to take him last time. Daniel Craig carries this movie. He's my MVP. It's an obvious one. Nothing, nothing too crazy here. You know, he's obviously the fight scenes, which... We've talked about the editing of them, but I think, you know, he he just brings that good physicality to these fight scenes. They still feel brutal, I, you know, but he's also, like, got also, that charm. Dude and he's cut. got that pain under that charm. Yeah, and he looks great, you know. He he got he keeps himself in good shape. I think this this movie just doesn't work without him. Obviously, it's it's hard for any Bond movie to work with a bad Bond. So that's, I, I guess that was a dumb comment, but he, he's really the reason to watch this movie. When it comes down to it, it he's, the, he's what makes this movie watchable. And I, I, I enjoy this movie. I, I don't know if I had said that definitively yet. Definitively yet. I do enjoy this movie. And it's just because, not just because, but it's Daniel Craig's why. That's that's really, it all centers around him. And he, he, you know, keeps me invested throughout it. So Daniel Craig's my MVP. Okay. I'm going to go Olga Kirilenko just because, you know, She's a great paramour to Bond in the way the story is told. She brings her own physicality to the role, her own badassery. You know, she's she's just really cool throughout this movie. She's very enjoyable to watch. And that line where she asks Bond, like, will I be able to sleep? Like, that one hurts, you know? Cole, what, you, that's the second time I've heard you say this word now. Uh, paramour? Is that is that what you're saying? Yes, Paramore. Par Paramore. Now I may be wrong on this, but I believe that is like a mistress. <laughs> oh shit! I thought it meant nope. like you know. No, Zach, I believe Paramore is an old old wooden ship used during the Civil used War in this, era. Used the Civil War era, right? <laughs> that's that is correct. Okay, yeah, that's um, what it is. A foil, I guess. Would foil. Be. That's that's a. That works, foil. sure. A good foil to Bond who's who's going through the same shit he's going through, but in her own way and in the way that, you know, you still feel for her, you know, and she does a great job in that role. Where you want to go next? Yeah, this one's a little bit kind of off the beaten path, uh, but I'm going to pick writers, just general, just because I think this movie highlights, Aww. like, even, like, well, uh, Daniel Craig even said this in an interview. He talked about how he's never going to do a movie without a set-in-stone script, and so they kind of went into it, or, like, uh, I think it was it was something like that. It was something about the script, and I think this movie just highlights how important they are um, and how when you have a good writing team that is there consistently um, working hard, it just elevates the movie to another level as we see in Casino Royale. Uh, spoiler alert, but we see that in Skyfall. I love Skyfall. Um, just, uh, but yeah, so I, I, I think this movie suffered a little bit because of it, but I think it just highlights how important writers are. So, so are I, you I, saying- I'm going to say my MVP are people that weren't necessarily completely involved. So the people who didn't write this movie but wrote the other movies is but, what I'm. But and do you I see get what I'm saying? saying? I like it. I do. I like <laughs> yeah. it. I like it. I think. But, I appreciate well, it. I, well, I, I'm, I'm looking through it, and I don't think anyone necessarily stood out to me as like, oh my gosh, they really did a good job. Like even like Dominic Green, who's the third biggest character of this entire movie. I was just like, I, I mean, this guy doesn't do anything for me. Like I don't even think, like yeah, he's not a good guy by any means, but it, like. 
I feel like um, I felt something for Lashif. I, I, I feel like was a a better bad guy, and in this one, I feel like oh, we downgraded, yeah. and so I didn't want to pick him. And then I feel like the direction where we're seeing all these big cuts, like yeah, they kind of threw me off, and so I was like, I'm not going to pick the director, but I think this movie does a really good job of highlighting, kind of tie it back to the conversation we had at the beginning um, of the the pod, like the writers writers are important, and so um, that's yeah. that's my MVP. Alrighty, moving on to the review section. Ooh. It says that they insist on outside opinions. What kind of opinions? Well, you're kind not to put too fine a point on it. I mean, let's face it, in your particular field, you're the top minds. Can you cut um, Cole doing that and save it and then send me, <laughs> the so- send me the sound bite? And so I can send it, send it in group chats any single time someone says something. I can do that, yeah. Cole, you go first. Okay, I'm gonna just, you know, I didn't, I mean, I've said it to you guys, I didn't really enjoy this movie. It was hard for me to get through. I'm gonna go three out of five. When I say I didn't really enjoy it. Yeah, I was say, that sounds like you enjoyed it. That's a good, three out of five is good. What I didn't enjoy was the quick cuts, the characters, you know, that I didn't really care about. But that being said, you know, what these movies do great is Daniel Craig being the man. Um, like I said, my MVP, Olga, she was great as Montez. I mean, I, I do enjoy parts of these movies more than I don't enjoy them, especially the espionage. The little moments he has with M kind of hit a little different for me, knowing where this franchise goes. Um, well, I, I just... You know, I love James Bond. I love Daniel Craig. And while I might not have enjoyed this as much as Casino Royale, I did still, you know, there were parts where I really did have fun watching it. But that being said, there were a lot more parts to this movie that I didn't enjoy than I did Casino Royale. I'll go next. I was also going to give it a three out of five. Um, I thought I did like it. Okay. I don't think it definitely wasn't my favorite James Bond movie, but I thought I was like, okay, I I enjoyed watching it. Um, and I kind of went through what I liked, what I liked about it. So I'm just going to stick with my three out of five. Cool. So just to clarify, Cole, you did like, it cause I think a two and a half, yes. that's the midpoint. Yeah. That's like, yeah, I sh- if any, anything higher than a two and a half is like, I did like this movie and anything below I, I'd I, say is like, probably didn't like this movie very much. I just didn't like it as much as I loved Casino Royale. That's how I should have phrased it. Well, Casino Royale is yeah. really, really good. So that's it's a it's a high bar to really clear. Good. But yeah, really, really good. Did, didn't didn't get close to the bar. But yeah, so three three out of five. Long story yeah. short. All right. Well, long story short, three out of five. Uh, guess what, guys? <laughs> three out of five for me as well. Sheep. Clean sweep. Uh, so I did like this movie, but I didn't feel anything more about it than liking it. It's just liking it. You know, I enjoyed my time with it. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it is, can't help but be a disappointment after Casino Royale, obviously, but it, it just, it feels like a natural, a natural next step from that movie, but it's just not that interesting of a step, but it doesn't really feel like it, it, it doesn't upset me at all. The, I mean, even though the action scenes aren't great, the energy that, you know, proceeds throughout the whole movie, it, it, it keeps you engaged. It doesn't wear out. It's welcome. I like that it's short. It's a tight movie in that sense. And obviously, like I said, Daniel Craig's pretty great. Overall, I think it's closer to a three and a half than a two and a half. I was almost gonna give it a three and a half. This this movie hits the minimum 
of what it needs to be to be a good Bond movie. Long story short, <laughs> it's, a, it's a three out of five. Three out of five. It's a, it's fine. Whatever. Next section. Post credit scene. You're still here. It's over. Go home. Good podcasting is good nipple rubbing. Everyone knows that. <laughs> <laughs> all right well we're talking about skyfall next um woo! i like that one would you guys watch this week um i started watching the netflix documentary quarterback have you watched that cole i feel like you would watch that not yet no i've it it's really interesting i i really like it i i um it's uh, it's definitely a good watch. I don't really know why I like it, but it's just it's so captivating, like, or so it's captivating, and I just, I don't know. It it's really good. I, I and I'm not a huge football fan. I pay attention to it sometimes, but I'm not like watching it every Sunday that it's on. I'm not watching a certain team. I say I cheer for a certain team, but I could really not care less whether or not they win or lose. Um, but this one, it's really good. It kind of reminds me. To a, a much lesser extent, a much, much lesser extent of like Last Dance. And so it's kind of, it's just got like that. I don't know. I like it. Uh, highly recommend it. Um, my mom started watching it. She was like, oh, this is good. So I think you would like it, Cole. But that's what I watched okay. this week. I might get around to it. Um, this week I watched Army of Darkness with uh, my co host, Zach. I love. I love Bruce Campbell. Um, he's 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 so good, and he's so unlikable as Ash in a way. But now, yet now you hold still on. hold on. <laughs> you still want to root for this guy no matter what. Yeah, I I think he's a likable asshole. That's how I would describe it. But uh, yeah, I don't want to <laughs> say too much about that movie now because I'm fingers crossed that we'll eventually talk about it on the podcast, and I'll be able to just you know I'll just go on forever about it. But uh, this week, I had the opportunity to go see one of my favorite '80s horror movies uh, in theaters. It was a at a you know grindhouse showing that's sponsored by a local horror, you know, I guess you could call it organization. I mean, it's like a they do podcasts and trivia nights and whatnot, but uh, it's called Destroy the Brain. And once a month, they do a quote unquote grindhouse where they show an old horror movie at Marcus De Pere. If you're in from the St. Louis area listening to this, which I'm, honestly I, I I'd assume a lot of you are, but it's it's always a fun time to go see an old horror movie. A lot of times I haven't seen them, but this is one that I definitely had seen. It's one of my favorite horror movies and seeing it in a packed audience on a really, really stormy night where you could hear the rain and thunder above the theater. It, it was just a great experience. I had an awesome time with it, seeing it with my friend Taylor. And I recommend anyone watch it if they uh, enjoy fun horror comedies. It's it's definitely not for kids, but it's 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 such a good time. So that one's called Reanimator. And then I've been kind of rewatching the Insidious movies to go watch the fourth one and you know about halfway through the third one I started to ask myself why <laughs> because because like the first one I like but I don't even love the first one I gave it like a three out of five it's because kind of a fun ghost movie but two is not that good and three was not as good as I remembered it was actually it was I didn't think it was that good at all honestly and I heard four is the worst one so excited to watch that one <laughs> and then go see the fifth one which didn't get great reviews either but you know I've already come this far so might as well finish it because, you know, I want to be caught up for Insidious 6, which it will surely happen, I think, because the fifth one is making some money. So that also makes me happy. I like when horror movies make money because that means more horror movies. So, 
Yippee, yippee, kaye. Love that but stuff. But you, you know, uh, you know what's not else. making money right now? Indiana Jones. Comic book movies. What? Well, I was going to. Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones is not it's doing like great. It's like on no. track to be like Disney's biggest flop in a while. Well, it just goes down to the problem is that it's. They're making it too expensive. That movie should not have cost that much money to make. I don't know if they're not spending it efficiently or what, but the fact that that movie has to make like five hundred million to like be profitable, four hundred, then then something was wrong. Okay, either way, yeah. like, well, I don't know. Does that include the marketing? I mean, like the money they spent on the marketing too for it to be profitable. Um, I mean, it's yeah, just I don't know. I don't you're, it's not a good business model, you know. Like that, you shouldn't have for an adventure movie like that. This isn't like Avengers Endgame here, you know, like this, I don't know, I, I, I think I would have approached Because they had a CGI a horse. Differently, but obviously they're, I, you know, jury's out on that still, but and I, I, can I, can I, can I address <laughs> this? Can I clarify something with this? I want to clarify something with this. Yes. Wait, so I think yes. you should, I think you should clarify after you see the movie again. Well, let me just clarify what I said really quick. Because when we were talking about it, Cole okay. and I were okay. talking about how bad the scene looked when he was on a horse. And I'm not saying that uh, Harrison Ford was not on a horse. I've seen the pictures uh, of him on, on the, the horse. horse. I know he was on a horse during filming. I know they filmed him on a horse. I'm saying that there were – you know what? Harrison Ford was on set too, and they still had a CGI him running. So – it's not crazy to think that they CGI'd him on a horse and it looked not great because that's exactly what happened at a certain point in that scene of him being on a horse. Maybe I'll change my mind, but that's what I originally thought. And that's what this podcast is. It's thoughts that I have. Get over it. I love right. that. I'm sorry that my my one my few sentences on it made you think that I was complete like a complete idiot. But I was just passionate. A lot of sentences. There were a lot of sentences on I it. I was just passionate about <laughs> was... it. And I never said that he was never on a horse. And I feel like that was being misconstrued. And words were being okay, put into my mouth. Okay. <laughs> and so I just. It's, it's out there. No, the words are on Spotify. The words are I, public. I just <laughs> we can, said. We can run back I just <laughs> said I was a bit passionate about it. And I'm just trying to clarify. That's all I'm trying to do. All but, right. And I, we got to. We got to stop. Okay. <laughs> Sky, uh, Skyfall. You've made, I, I will leave it all in. Well, I will leave it all well, in. This Long is, story short, this is Skyfall. Sky, <laughs> Skyfall next week. Uh, same, same time, same channel. We'll see you there. Uh, Bye. Long story short.